We are in the third week of a series entitled Can't Do It Yourself. And this is not just about uh, doing things in the tools shed with some of these things that I know nothing about. But we're talking about the spiritual life here. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me today to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. Go ahead and grab a Bible sitting in front of you if you don't have that. Turn to page 59 if you want to use this Bible sitting in front of you. And we will look into this passage today. When we started a new year a few weeks back, some of you said, okay, new year, new season. I'm ready to turn the page and start some things. And that is a great idea. It's a great idea to have a vision for your life and say, this year I want to do some things differently. I think this is one of the reasons when we start Bible studies that some of you say, okay, I'm signing up for that. Or our 9 o'clock class has been a larger attendance than it was in the fall. And, and it's just you are saying, okay, I want to start some things. That is good. But here's what you have to know in all of that. You can't do this on your own. And we're going to look at that idea today. Because today is a day where you can say, all right, I'm going to flip the page. I'm going to seek to follow God this next week. He desires that you, as you leave this room today, that you would serve Him, that you would worship Him, that you would walk with Him. And so I'm glad you're here today, whether you're in a bummed out mood, you're highly discouraged, or if you're in a great place, whatever that is, you're in a great place because we are going to interact with God's Word today. This idea, though, that you can't do it yourself, we get this idea from the Word of God. John chapter 15, you see it in your notes there. We'll put it up here on the screen as well. Jesus said these words to his disciples just before he goes to be crucified. He said, I'm the vine, the life source. You are the branches. You're an extension of me. And he goes on to say, whoever abides or remains in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus was saying, you can't do this yourself. You can't live out this spiritual life as it was meant to be on your own. You can't produce love and joy and peace. You can't produce that on your own. It's going to happen as you stay connected to me. And so this it in can't do it yourself is not tying your shoes. You can probably do that on your own or buy a cup of coffee. You can do that on your own. Even though every talent and gift and money and all of this comes from God. But specifically the it we're looking at when we say you can't do it yourself is this idea of growing in a relationship with God. To produce the life of God in you. To produce these fruit of God's spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You can't do it yourself. You cannot muster this up. You have to be connected to a life source. And so, the problem is we like to think we can, right? From a very little age, I was talking with somebody this week, at a little age, we just have this in us, like, I can do it, Mommy and Daddy, leave me alone. I can do this. I can walk on my own. I can ride my bike on my own. I can tie my shoes on my own. We have this, I want to do it on my own mentality, this spirit about us. But it's really pride that would say, I don't need anybody. I can do it myself. As I was thinking about this this week, I'm like, man, what's this look like when we try to do it on our own? What? It's really a dead end. It, we're just spinning wheels when we start thinking we can do it ourselves. So I thought, 
This is the image I want you to have in your mind when you think that you can do it yourself. Let's watch this. Yeah, yeah, that's us. I think Jesus says that. That's you. If you think you can do this on your own, you can't. You will get stuck. You will spin your wheels. And that's not where the Lord wants any of us to be. Two weeks ago, we looked at this idea. Go ahead and write this down. That you and I cannot do this on ourselves. That you and I need God. This is the starting point, that you and I need a relationship with God. We need to rely on God, to trust in Him with all of our heart, lean not on our own understanding. It has to start here. Last week, then, Pastor Cyrus shared with us that not only do we need God, but we need God's Word. You and I can't do it ourselves. You and I need God's Word. You need to learn from this. You need to know it. You need to... Uh, feed from it. You need to obey this word. Today I want you to see this, and, and I've been seeing it myself, that we can't do it ourselves. You and I need God's people. Write this down and consider this with me today. You and I need God's people. And as I share some things today and we look into Exodus chapter 18, I've been asking God to be speaking to you. He's been speaking earlier this morning. He'll speak to you as I share a few things, as you read a few things. And I've asked God to speak to you in such a way that you would hear something like this. That's for me. That's for me. That's for me. And so he is going to work in your heart so that you can hear, that's for me. Now, I know sometimes you're going to hear this, and you'll want to hit the person next to you and say, that's for you. We don't have to right now be the Spirit of God. Just let Him work, and He will speak to you today. And I, I hope that as we read and as I share a few thoughts, you would say, that, that one's for me. That one's for me. That we need God's people. God has given us what we would call His family to help us grow, to produce this life of Christ in us. And what I want us to consider today is that you and I need each other in, a, in order to grow in our faith. And you and I need each other to live fruitful lives. You and I need each other to survive life and to thrive in life. And we'll talk about why that is a little bit, but I want to show you some pictures today. But it got me thinking about a question it was a question that came up recently, even in our staff offices. Just here was this question How many staff members of our church does it take to change a light bulb? All right? Not a joke. Just, I know this sounds like a joke. It's not a joke. Just a question. A light went out, and we needed to fix it right away. And some of you are looking up, man, I, don't, I, I, I do not want to ever change those. I just won't. But, you know, in the office, how many staff people does it take to change a light bulb? And I thought, well, you need one to actually remove the old one and put the new one in. You need one probably to take a picture so that we could document it for social media, right? 
And then you need one to make sure that no one gets hurt in the process of changing the light bulb. And so uh, Chris drew that short straw of holding me up. Three of us. We did. The idea was when we said we need to change the light bulb, it was like, wait a second. We can't do this on our own. We need multiple people. And I want you to see this today, that God has designed us that we need multiple people in our lives to accomplish what he has in store. Exodus chapter 18. Let's look at that. Let's get rid of that ugly picture there. That was one of the most profitable things I did in the last couple of weeks. But anyway, Exodus chapter 18. Here's the story. Let me give you a couple uh, ideas of what's going on in this story before we start reading it. The nation of Israel had been slaves in Egypt. God miraculously rescues them. You can read that in some of the previous chapters. This million-plus people gets out of slavery. They start wandering in a desert, and before long they have no food, so God provides. And they have no water, so God miraculously provides. And so Moses is here with a million-plus people, and, and all of a sudden he hears that his father-in-law is coming. His father-in-law is coming, and, and I don't know what that means to you if you hear that your father-in-law is coming to meet with you. For me, as I was reading this story this week, I thought, oh, I remember a day when I had an encounter with my future father-in-law, or I was thinking it would be my future father-in-law. I called him up and said, could I meet with you? I have a very important question I'd like to ask you, if you know what I mean. And so he said, and, and he being a law enforcement guy in his biggest, toughest voice, he said, okay, then we're going to meet here at this time, at this place. Don't be late. I mean, I was like, man, I thought I was in charge of this meeting. He totally took over this meeting. And, and so I'm like, oh, no, now I'm a little nervous. And I show up on time, of course, and I meet him, and I said, I have a question for you. And he goes, I know that you have a question for me. Before you do that, I want you to see this contract that I've written up for you. <laughs> like, I am not in charge of this meeting. Here's a copy of it. Prenuptial agreement. This agreement made and entered into the 15th day of May, 1991. So I'm thinking this is about 10 months before we got married. By and between Richard D. Patton, hereinafter referred to as Daddy Dear, <laughs> and Scott Miller, hereinafter referred to as the daughter-stealing, blood-sucking, slime-bucket son-in-law. I'm like, wait a second. I was just going to ask a simple question, man. Daddy Deer agrees to allow the daughter-stealing, blood-sucking, slime-bucket son-in-law to marry his daughter, Angela Marie Patton, hereinafter referred to as Princess Perfect Person. <laughs> At this point, if I didn't know I was in trouble, but I, I knew now. Only and if the following terms are met and adhered to. And he listed out a few. I'll just read one of them. Daddy dear and the bun-wearing Italian sausage lady, that's my mother-in-law, will have and reserve all rights to decide all wrongness between princess perfect person and the daughter-stealing blood-sucking slime bucket son-in-law. Then it goes on to say, after all these terms, in the event that the daughter-stealing, blood-sucking, slime-bucket son-in-law shall fail to perform any of the terms of this agreement, it shall be at Daddy Deer's option to administer death. 
like, what? <laughs> Man, this guy's scaring me. Recourse. It goes on to say, if Daddy Deer opts for death, you know, he's in law enforcement. I'm like, man, I, he probably could do this too. If Daddy Deer opts for death, the daughter stealing, blood sucking, slime bucket son in law has the right to a hearing. Whew. The outcome of the hearing does not matter. <laughs> man, I'm like, this guy is nuts. Well, anyway, I signed it. I'm not sure. <laughs> I signed it, and uh, we're still married, and, you know, I, yes, sir, yes, sir. So, anyway, Moses is having an encounter with his father-in-law, and he may have signed something like this. I don't know, but father-in-law is coming, and he's like, uh-oh. Now, with that, we pick up the story, Exodus chapter 18. You've got to put yourself in the story to have an idea of what Moses might be thinking, Right? Verse 13, follow along with me. The next day Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is it that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? Circle that word or underline it. Alone. And all these people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God, and when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. Circle that, wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. Too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. If he's using this word, he's like, Moses, hashtag, can't D-I-Y. You can't do this yourself. Verse 19. Now obey my voice and I will give you advice. Yes, father-in-law. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Verse 21, Moreover, look for able men from the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and even tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. Catch this, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Verse 23, and if you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So I was reading that, I was just noticing some of these words, and you should too, and then maybe God's going to speak to you with some of these words, but I see this where God, or Jethro is saying to Moses, you can't do this yourself. You can't lead on your own. You can't change their behavior on your own. You got a million plus people. Verse 14, alone. Not good to do this alone. Verse 17, not good. Verse 18, wearing yourself out, too heavy, not able. Verse 23, if you do this a different way, if you would include others, 
you can endure. And the people will go in peace. And I thought, you know what? This isn't just Moses' story, though this was a message to him. This is our story as well. As I look at this, I thought, you know what? Let's just add our name to the notes. This isn't just Moses, you can't do it yourself. Put your name in the notes. You can't do it yourself. Scott, you can't do this yourself. You can't be the parent you're supposed to be on your own. You can't be the spouse you're supposed to be on your own. You can't be the minister of God you're supposed to be in your home and in your community on your own. You can't do it. The same message that was to Moses is to you and me. We can't do it ourselves. God's best plan for you, God's best plan for me, God's best plan for Moses is to rely on him, to rely on his word, and to rely on the people that God has placed around you. You'd think Moses would have figured this out by now, because as I was looking at this story, Moses should have. He, after he was wearing himself out, it should not have taken a father-in-law to help him figure this out. Because I go back to chapter 17. Go back one chapter to chapter 17. Now, remember, these people, million-plus people, have left Egypt. They have been slaves for the last few years. They get out there, and here they are with the leader of Moses, but... They're not ready for much. They're not ready for food. God has to provide. They're not ready for water. God has to provide. They're not ready for battle. In fact, there's a neighboring group, the Amalekites, that are trying to attack the Israelites. And Moses says, okay, Joshua, go find some guys that look like they could fight. We don't have an army, but go find some who will fight. That's where we pick up this weird battle story. Chapter 17, verse 11. Look at a couple verses here with me. Whenever Moses held up his hand in this battle, Israel prevailed in the battle. And whenever his hands were lower, or, and whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. He's looking, he's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand here with the staff of God that God has given me. He's performed miracles. When I hold this up, it looks like we're winning. But after a while, my arms are getting tired. And I put them, oh, no, it looks like we're losing. Okay, back here. Okay, it looks like we're winning. And then it says this, but Moses' hands grew weary, grew weary. I wrote that down. I'm like, man, that describes me a lot of times, grow weary. So they took a stone, they put it under Moses, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands. Hur is not a girl. It's not referring to her. Hur is a man, all right? There's a man named Hur. This is like a boy named Sue, if you're a Johnny Cash fan, okay? So Aaron and Hur are helping him hold up his hands. And so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Look at that story, and Moses should have realized when we get to Exodus chapter 18, I can't do this on my own because I just noticed that. As I went like this, I'm like, uh, guys, we're winning, but my arms are getting sore. Guys, I cannot do this all day. They're not winning fast enough. I'm losing circulation to my fingers. I need some help. I'm growing weary. And I don't know if it's Moses saying, guys, you help me, or those guys saying, man, do you need some help? But all of a sudden, Moses knew, I can't do this on my own. Need help. They're realizing he can't do it on his own. He needs help. Put your name in here again. 
I want you to know that in put the, your name in the story. You can't do this yourself. God's going to put you and I in situations where we sit there and go, I can't do this. God probably could have won that battle with Moses in a matter of seconds, and Moses would have been, man, this is great. I can do it on my own. But I imagine God just lets that battle go on to say, you know what? I just want Moses to get worn out so that he realizes he can't do it alone. I'll tell you what, God allows certain things in our lives. He puts us in situations where we have to say, I can't do it myself. He's going to put, us, put you in situations to teach you that you can't live this life on your own. God's going to put you in situations so, and teach you that you cannot produce the life of God on your own. Does that make sense to you? Have you, have you experienced that? There will be times that you get overwhelmed. And God's like, okay, got you right where I want you. I want you overwhelmed. I really want you overwhelmed because when you are overwhelmed, you are going to call out for God. You're probably going to open up his word. You might show up to church. You might start getting connected with people. I want you overwhelmed so that you realize you can't do it on your own. You'll experience sickness. And I believe a lot of that. God will say, I just want you to acknowledge that you can't do it on your own. You can't heal yourself. You're going to have to do this thing and cry out for help. Help! You're going to have to humble yourself and say, I need someone to take care of me. I need God too, but I need my brothers and sisters too. Imagine you'll experience loneliness at times. I do this, and I think God allows that to say, Scott, the idea is I want you to experience this because you need to reach out. If you only stand on a stage on Sundays and never reach out, you're going to be lonely. And when you're lonely, I want you to realize you need all of these people in your life. You'll experience defeat at times. To the point that God says, I, I want you to experience defeat, actually. Because I want you to acknowledge that you need me. That you need my word. That you need the body of Christ that I have placed in front of you. Consider this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says this, We do not want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Raise your hand if in the last year you've been utterly burdened beyond your strength. Go ahead. Look around for a minute. You're not the only, look around. You're not the only one. Apostle Paul says, man, utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. I mean, I think that means I want to end this. I want an escape. I want to get out. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But I love this next word. What is it? But. Now we're liking this word, aren't we? Great. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Here's the problem. He says, Paul says, man, we were miserable. But God allowed that so that we'd realize we can't do it ourselves. We have to rely on him. Look at the next couple verses. Verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now catch this. Watch this. It says, you also must help us by prayer. Here's what he's saying. I was miserable, and I had to rely on God. But I'm not just relying on God. I'm relying on you. I need you to pray for me is what he's saying. I need help. 
I mean, yeah, I'm the great Apostle Paul. I'm this missionary who's taken some trips, and a lot of people know my name. But I want you to know that you need to pray for me. I need your help. You see, everyone in this room, we should be saying, okay, God's allowing these difficulties so that I'd rely on him. But we should be talking to each other saying, I need you to pray for me. I need your help. I need your help as well. You're my brother. You're my sister. I need your help. This is how God has designed this. The Apostle Paul says, I need your prayers. God's going to use that. I need this help. So let's talk about this for a little bit, the dark valley of do-it-yourself. Let me give you a couple thoughts with this. Because every once in a while, we start to think that we can do life on our own, but I want you to know it's a dark valley. One reason it's a dark valley is because there's a lack of input in your life. There's a void. You're not hearing what you should hear when you start thinking you can do it yourself. I can do this on my own. I can lead this ministry on my own. I can go into this battle on my own. You lack input when you think you can do it for yourself. So when you're hurting, who's going to help you? When you are lost, who is going to guide you? guide you. When you're weak, when you're wandering, when you sin, when you win, who's going to be there to give input in your life and encourage you, to correct you, to support you? Who's going to do that? But when you and I start thinking, I can do it on my own, it's a dark valley. It's a dark valley. Where there is no input, where there is no counsel, Plans fail. There's this dark valley, and I I want you to know God did not intend you to walk in that valley. He didn't intend Moses to walk in that valley. He's like, Moses, I want you to see that you need these guys. You need the input of these guys. I just started thinking about myself on this and just said, okay, do I need input? I mean, I'm the lead pastor. I'm the preacher. They, They need to hear from me, right? I'm like, wait a second. No, no, no. I need input a whole lot more, actually. Uh, So I open God's Word. I listen to music that would encourage my soul. I listen to others. I read books. Even though I don't really like reading, I start watching sermons on uh, TV, on the Internet, because I need my soul fed. But it's not just enough that I watch TV and hear a good message. And, but I sit there and say, you know what? I need people praying for me. Every Thursday morning for about nine years now, nine and a half years, I open my office door and, and we have a good group of guys come in. All of you are invited to this. And we just come in and these guys would tell you that many times I've just said, here's what I need. I need you to pray for me. And I need you to pray for our church. I need this input in my life. I need your prayers. I need your conversation. I need your encouragement. I need your correction. And you do too. You need people in your lives doing this. Also, there's a lack of output, though, in this dark valley of do-it-yourself. Lack of output. When people are hurting and you're just living this, I can do it myself, who are you not helping You need to have an outflow in your life. When someone's lost, who are you guiding? Don't say, well, I just tell them to call the church. Don't do that. You minister to them, all right? 
We'll equip you to do that work. You're like, no, 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 I just want to do it myself. I just want to stay in my little shed and work on my thing. No, listen, you need the input of others, and you need the output into other people's lives. They need you. I think the church gets smaller and smaller when we just start thinking, I can do it myself. The lost do not get reached when we say, well, just leave it up to the pastor, leave it up to the staff, leave it up to the elders. No. This is a dark valley when you start thinking, I can do it myself. You need this output. But of course, with God, he gives hope. Let's write this down, the bright hope of being connected. If there's a dark valley of do-it-yourself, there is bright hope of being connected. And it starts with being connected with the person of Christ. The person of Christ Jesus. The person of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. This is what we shared two weeks ago. If you were here two weeks ago, you got this. If not, understand this is what you need first. A connection with Jesus. John chapter 15 again. He says he's the life source. We're a branch. We're an offshoot of this. We're connected to him. Write this passage down. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, I can do all things, not on my own, through who? Through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, I can handle every tough situation because I find strength from Him. I can handle wealth when He strengthens me. I can handle poverty when He strengthens me. I can handle good news when He strengthens me. I can handle bad news when He strengthens me. But apart from him, I can do nothing. And so it starts with being connected to the person of Christ. Now, I want to talk about the roles with others, but it really starts with receiving this life. Jesus, I need you. I need a new heart. I need your power to accomplish much. And then it's continually going to Jesus. Jesus, I need you when I sin. I need you when I win. I need you at all times. Almost sounds like a Dr. Seuss book we could write. All right. Go to Jesus when you sin. Go to Jesus when you win. All right. Dr. Seuss all of a sudden there. Maybe that's for you. I don't know. But the bright hope of being connected is also with the body of Christ. I want us to finish with this today. The bright hope is with the body of Christ. Yes, the person of Christ, but the body. Us. All right, us, people who believe in Jesus Christ. God gives us a picture of this body, having brothers and sisters in this family, in this relationship. We need each other. We're meant to work together for the good of the body, to glorify the head, which is Jesus I mean, I'm sitting up here today and my hands are doing their job and they're opening up the Bible and my eyes are doing a good job reading and looking at you and my mouth and the tongue and the teeth. They're doing a good job, I hope, explaining some things and the brain's working and all of this. But if all of a sudden one of my legs said, man, I just want to do my own thing here, I'd be like, wait a second, you were part of the body. You stay right here and hold me up. My legs, no, man, I just want to do it myself. I want to dance, baby. I'm like, we'll dance later this afternoon, but right now you do, do this. He's like, wait. And I think that's kind of what we do. Some of you are afraid I'm going to fall back up. You know, some of you are like, man, I just want to do my own thing. That's not why you were included in Christ, to do your own thing. 
You were here to be part of the body, to support the body, to encourage the body of Christ. As I look in this, it's like, okay, wait a second. There's input in your life from God and His people. No, I, I need input from you. You need input from me and from each other. But how many times are you stuck in your shed? You're stuck in your man cave. You're stuck at work. You're saying, I'm just going to do it myself. And you need input. You need input. You need to receive love. You need to receive service from people. You need to receive encouragement from people. You're like, no, I'm just going to hide out. You're missing out. That's not the way God intended this. Moses, he gets to the point, he says, okay, I can't do this. Aaron, her, help me out. I need your input. I need your strength. I need your encouragement. They're probably sitting there not just holding it up, but like, come on, Mo. Let's go, baby. The longer we do this, we're winning. Keep going. He's like, man, I can't even feel my fingers. You can do it. God's doing something. Come on. I don't know if you've had people like that in your life. I have. Like, don't quit now. Like, I want to quit. I want to quit my marriage. I want to quit being a parent. I want to quit this job. I just want to quit on life. And I've had people in my life just, no. No, God's using you. We'll hold your arms up. God's using you. We're winning. The victories happen. Hang in there. And I'm like, no, I want to quit. We need that input from each other. You see that? But we need the output as well. Aaron and her, they're sitting there like, man, Moses gets all the credit. We don't do anything. What? You need us to hold your arms? Okay. At the end of the day, they're like, man, I got used by God. We defeated the enemy. All I did was hold his arm up and coach him a few times. Go, come on, dude. We can do this. You need that output. You need that place where you can say, I got to encourage somebody. I think the best part of my day uh, throughout the week is when I get to encourage. When somebody's like, man, I just want to give up. And I get to be part of something. I'm like, oh, God, I had some input, but now I get output. And, whoo, I feel good. And yet when you and I start saying, eh, I'm just going to do it by myself, you're missing out. The body of Christ is missing out. The body of Christ is missing out. Let's finish with this. There's a phrase over and over and over in the New Testament, nearly 60 times, one another, one another. I put some of those passages on your notes, and I would hope that you'd look at those this week. I hope you'd sit down with somebody else and read those and say, oh, this is how we're called to live. Yeah. The idea is that we are family, just like our good old sister Sledge told us in the 1970s. We are family. You'll be thankful to me later that I put that song in your head when you're humming it later, all right? But Sister Sledge is right. We are family. You see, we're called to love one another. Be committed to one another. I know you might not really like one another, but you're called to be committed to one another. You're called to serve one another, to carry each other's burdens. You, you and I, we're called to do that. We're called to live in harmony with one another. Man, when our worship team's up there and I just hear different voices and different uh, instruments, and I'm just like, man, they harmonize so well. That's how we're to live, to live in harmony with one another. 
It's good for us. It's good for the body. But here's, you got to see this. We can't be the body of Christ and try to do it ourselves. The body of Christ is not a do-it-yourself project. It just isn't. It isn't. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to put your Bibles down. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close our service today. And as we stand up, I just want you to look around and see some of the body. Sometimes you just get stuck looking at me or something like, look around. These are the people that you need. These are the people that need you. And as we close today, I want you to know as you look around, you are called to love these people. Be committed to them. Look around again. You're called to love them. You're called to serve them. You're called to live in harmony with them. You're called to encourage them. You're like, man, I don't even know their name. Then get to know their name. Don't leave here so quickly today. If you have an appointment, I understand that. But stick around a bit. Get to know somebody so that you can encourage them. We're called to forgive one another. We're called to instruct one another. We're called to worship with one another. So here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to finish today. I'm going to say some of these things again. I'm going to say that we're called to do some of these things. And when I point to you, I just want you to say enthusiastically, of course, I want you to say, we will. Can you do that? Let's practice. We will. Okay, because we are called to love one another. We will. We are called to serve one another. We will. We are called to live in harmony with one another. We will. We are in called to encourage one another. We will. We're called to forgive one another. We will. We're called to instruct one another. We will. And we will wait and hope and trust in God together. We will. Amen.